All right, you have a Bible, I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. The message is entitled, Walk in Wisdom, and this is part 3. Uh, we have looked at um, four marks Paul says are to characterize the walk of the believer in wisdom. He is to walk circumspectly, as we look back on these verses, to walk redeeming the time. He is to walk understanding the will of the Lord, and he is to walk being filled with the Holy Spirit continuously. Now the last three marks of the seven seem to be as the direct result of the fourth, being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. This does not imply that the first three are not the result or product of the Holy Spirit. But again, we have that mysterious blending combination of human responsibility and divine empowerment and enablement. As Philippians 2.12 and 13 says, For is both God the will to thus of his good pleasure, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that combination. So... The walk in wisdom of the believer being filled with the Holy Spirit is characterized by three things. Let me read here Ephesians 19 through 21. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So the walking wisdom of the believer, as we've seen in these marks, now directly stated as the filling of the Holy Spirit is characterized by the following. First, the believer is wise to walk joyful in verse 19. Joyful. Second, the believer is wise to walk thankful in verse 20. And thirdly, the believer is wise to walk humble. In verse 21, joyful, thankful, and humble. Let's begin with the first. The believer is wise to walk joyful. Notice in verse 19, the Apostle Paul revealed the filling of the Holy Spirit benefits the life of the believer. Speaking to one another. The word speaking is um, participle, present active. And it's emphatic in the Greek. The Greek tense there indicates continues resulting from obedience to the imperative command to be filled with the Spirit in verse 18. The same holds true of the other three participles that will follow. Singing, giving thanks, and submitting. It's by the obedience of being filled that these things come about in our life. If we don't obey, they don't happen automatically. The word speaking is the unique attribute given to man by God to communicate, um, to articulate sounds and tones and inflections that other people understand that same type of pattern. And languages are as diverse as anything. When you understand it, it makes perfectly sense. When you don't, it sounds like a bunch of rattling. The number of languages are many throughout the earth. Now the phrase to one another is often interpreted in a wrong way. 
usually it's for the it's interpreted that this one another means for the benefit of the other you're speaking to others but the phrase one another here in the Greek, the word really means the person speaking to him or herself for their own good benefit, for your own sakes. That's what this word means. It's translated the same, but it's a different word that we'll see in verse 21. This is the first direct benefit of being filled with the Holy Spirit here in our study. 2 Timothy 2.6 says the hardworking farmer must first be partakers of the crops. Can I give what I don't have? I first partake myself. Notice the Apostle Paul revealed the manner and quality of their speech is one of spiritual worship in a threefold description. In Psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing. Paul stated the believer speaks to himself, first of all, in psalms. The word psalms, as you know, takes us back to the Old Testament. It means the striking of chords of a musical instrument referring to the Old Testament psalms. And many of them were written for specific musical instruments, string instruments, horns, different things. Paul told the Corinthians, every one of you has a psalm in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, as he's instructing them on the correction of the gifts of tongues, interpretation, and prophecy, and the confusion that was going on. Other psalms were just for reading and reciting, but some were for musical accompaniment. Now, Paul also stated the believer speaks to himself in hymns. It means a song in praise, a sacred song. The word refers to the New Testament composition of praise to God and Jesus Christ. Those born of the spirit of the new life in Christ Jesus. Some believe we have many recorded in the New Testament, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Colossians 1, 12 through 18, 1 Timothy 1, 17, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, and there are others that they believe they were little songs or, uh, as they say here, hymns. Paul stated, notice, then the believers to speak to himself in spiritual songs, these threefold description. The third phrase, spiritual songs, is accompanied by the adjective spiritual. Pneumaticos, identifying the nature and the kind of song. When a word in the Greek is, um, has a suffix of ikos, it means and communicates that whatever the word that precedes it, it's controlled by that word that it's describing. Pneumos is spirit, controlled by the spirit, pneumaticos. So this is the result of one who's controlled by the spirit of God. And I'm not talking about forceful control, but who is being filled, influenced, and he's yielding to that spirit. 
that the will of God, the Spirit of God is dealing with them, enabling them to deal with the issues, to walk with God, to rejoice with God, as we'll see, even in spite of the circumstances. The word song there indicates a more informal and contemporary song, but still distinct from the secular one. It indicates spontaneous times of praise and lyrics that are sourced in the manifestation of being filled with the Spirit of God. In other words, I'm being uplifted, I'm being edified, I'm walking in the Spirit. And yet I'm in the midst of this world, I'm in the midst of the situation, I'm in the midst of this trouble. Now this does not mean that the psalms and the hymns are not spiritual, but the spiritual songs to distinguish them from the secular songs. Then notice the Apostle Paul revealed the source and origin of the worship. It's in the heart. Underline that. And make melody in your heart to the Lord. The word making melody is a derivative of the word psalms. So you see they're all overlapping and contingent and related. It can mean playing with a string instrument, literally to pluck. But the context reveals this is not what Paul meant. The articulation and sound is not audible, mark that, but silent within the believer. That's important that you mark that in this verse, okay, in the context. Some interpret this passage to be corporate worship in the church, ignoring the context of inward private worship. This verse is talking about inward private worship, not corporate public worship. The heart cardia is used in two different ways, as you know. One can be used for the literal heart that pumps all your blood and oxygen to your body. And it also can be used as a metaphor for the character of a person who they really are, good or evil, spiritual or natural. The context here denotes the center of seed of spiritual life of the believer. The expression of a person's intellect, emotion, and will as filled and ruled by the Holy Spirit of God's influence. To the Lord. He's not singing to himself, but to the Lord, Kurios, master and owner of the believer, Jesus Christ. This is not for the eyes and ears of any person to be impressed or to be convinced that the one worshiping is spiritual, but simply personal expression of their love for God as the Holy Spirit is filling them and gushing out from them as torrents of living waters as Jesus promised in John chapter 7. I think of Paul and Silas in that Philippian jail as they were beaten, put in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Here you have evidence of what Paul is teaching. It's not theoretical. It's not just for the super spiritual 
is for every Christian, this potential, this capacity. The spiritual worship and praise, again, is to the Lord. The title, again, is Master and Owner. Christ is Christos, and it's another title, meaning the anointed Messiah, indicating deity. Lord, the Lord in Christ was Jesus, Yahweh of salvation. That's what the Greek name means. It's the Greek name of the Hebrew name Joshua, which is the contraction of Yahweh Shua, Yahweh of salvation. All three mean the same thing. The Holy Spirit came to glorify and to speak of Jesus, as you know, not himself. He did not come to glorify himself. He came to give witness of him, to teach us, to turn on the light, to convict, and do all the work in Jesus' name. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now you know Colossians, Ephesians are sister epistles. They were written at the same time and sent with the same person. Okay, um, So you have, they're, 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 they have much alike, but they have a different focus. Um, you have the Song of Moses, a perfect example of singing um, uh, from their hearts to the Lord, though that was more like a public worship um, as they're doing that. But that song would be picked up, and maybe at another time, um, some Hebrews were in, at home, just around their house or whatever, and they would begin to sing that song in their heart as they remembered they were taught it. So there's songs for public worship that we do. Then there's songs when you're going down the freeway and you're, you're just worshiping the Lord and nobody else in the car. Or you're around the house. Or you're going through some things and you just open the word and God just ministered to your heart of his grace and his promises and, and his faithfulness and you just begin to worship him, singing a song to him yielding to the work of the Spirit of God in your life. How interesting that one of the most significant manifestations of the great revivals in history is the abundance of music and songs written as the Holy Spirit-filled people that benefited private worship. They were presented in public worship, but then there they take them home, right? For private worship. In the days of Moody and Wesley, many of the spiritual songs were bar tunes. Many people don't realize that. Um, and they just put scriptural lyrics, sing them to God. They take the tunes that they knew. So they didn't have to learn the tune. They just learned the, the, the words. <laughs> they already knew the tunes. Okay? Some of that has been done in our own uh, generation. In the outpouring of God's Spirit in the hippie days, during the Jesus People Movement. Um, they were writing many new songs. Maranatha Music was born out of that. And Pastor Chuck took advantage of that. to published many Christian songs that still are in existence today. Contemporary music, Christian music. 
really got to start there. There's also pop Christian music that is much like the worldly business of music and does not praise or glorify the content uh, of Jesus Christ by the words, even sometimes contradicting good sound theology and, and, and uh, doctrine. So there's always a corruption, a twisting, or a moving away, but the song should have good sound doctrine, good theology, the worship of Jesus, not yourself, not your girlfriend, not anything else. So this is true wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit of God because it relates and reaches so many people today. Music is a powerful, powerful thing, singing. Satan was the choir director. Why should Satan have all the good music? When, when Satan fell, he fell in the choir. That's why there's so much trouble in music ministries all the time. Listen to Psalm 118.14. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The spiritual songs and lyrics keep my mind and my heart centered on the Lord and his word, uplifting me in spite of the situations, the circumstances, in spite of my feelings, my emotions, reminding me of the grace and the goodness of God, his faithfulness. This is wisdom as a result of the Holy Spirit. James puts it this way in James 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. The believer is wise to walk joyful, worshiping Jesus, Paul says. Notice secondly in verse 20. The believer is wise to walk thankful. The two are hooked together, joyful, thankful. When you're not joyful, you're not very thankful. You usually think you've gotten ripped off, right? You think that people owe you things, right? When you're joyful, you're thankful. Notice the Apostle Paul revealed the spirit-filled person is one who is expressing their gratitude. Giving thanks always for all things. The phrase giving thanks once again is using the participle here in the present active tense. The tense like the previous one indicates something continuous. And the continuous is conditioned on yielding to be filled with the spirit. It, this is not a product of or because you're a nice person, or because you just are an up person, or because you're just so fun to be around. This is the product of the Holy Spirit. This again results only in obedience to the imperative command of verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit. When the believer is not being yielded, he's not empowered or controlled by the Spirit. But if they are, they'll be consistent in being thankful. Some people's lives are like roller coasters. When they're high, they're high. When they're low, whoa, be careful. 
the phrase giving thanks simply means to be grateful by expressing one's appreciation to another. The new divine nature being one with the enabling of the filling of the Spirit of God, the believer being very conscious of all God has done in their life and is doing. This is the presence of ongoing warfare. All this goes on in the midst of ongoing warfare in the life of the believer. I don't want to paint a picture of calm and winds blowing and leaves just kind of blowing, slow motion. No, no, no. You ever see a little dove in the midst of a storm? Trees coming down, and there she is in the crag of the rock, just huddled up and wrestling there, and everything is falling apart. Her peace is in the midst of that storm. We are born into warfare the minute we're born again. Our natural bent is to complain, to murmur, to feel that we uh, somehow have gotten shortchanged. Now, sometimes we have, and sometimes that may be true. But more than ever, that's when I need to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, you know I can't handle this, and you need to strengthen me. I know you're able. Make me willing to yield to you, to yield to your empowerment, to yield to your love, to yield to your grace, and not to yield to my sin nature that wants vengeance, revenge, to get even. Hmm. I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. So these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do that with things which you wish. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. The lust of the flesh is not exclusively talking about sex. It's all the works of the flesh. Anger. Lust. Murmuring. All that comes from our sinful nature. Notice Paul stipulated the measure of thanks is two, in two ways. He stated the believer is to be thankful through the process of the time on earth. The word always means at all times. Are you kidding me? You ever read Daniel in the lion's den? You ever read Joseph, what he told his brothers? You men that for evil got... Turn it to good. The context is for all that God has done for them and being very aware and conscious of it. Knowing that God would be faithful throughout their lives always includes regardless of what is happening or what I'm going through. Nothing specifically has said anything negative in this context, though we, by the always, it means the benefits uh, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenlies, right? He opened up the epistle. 
always thanking him. He stated the believers to be thankful, not only always, but in all things. The things that bless the believer, the things that tempt and test the believer, the things that are allowed by God, the things that are brought on by God. This is regardless if we can see the purpose or the benefit or reason of God or not. This is only possible as we are filled with the Spirit to be able to respond by giving thanks. He stated the measure of always, at all times, and all things, whatever confronts us in view of the faithfulness of God. Because he has saved us, he knows the end from the beginning. Not that the believer gives thanks for bad things that happen. We have to be careful of that. Not that the believer gives thanks for tragedies, deaths, or horrible accidents but that even in these circumstances, when they do come, the believer can always be thankful through all things by the grace and mercy and wisdom of God as we go through them, as we seek him, as we wait upon him, as we ask him to baptize and fill us. If you haven't gone through any of these things, be patient, you will. <laughs> you don't need to add to life's problems. There's plenty of them all on their own. Notice the Apostle Paul revealed that the thanks should be directed to the first person of the Trinity. Paul understood the order and chain of command of the Trinity in view of salvation. He says to God the Father, the source of an origin of everything. One article is used here to indicate the one person identified by the two terms. The Son is God, the channel. The Father is the source, the origin. The Holy Spirit is the agent. So you have the source, the channel, and the agent, all three persons, one God, one Lord, one Spirit, one Savior, we read that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. Yet Father and Son are co-equal by the titles of God and Lord. Notice the Father stands in the place of priority by the fact that he always is mentioned first. Yet they're co-equal. They're not inferior to each other. Ephesians 1.17 said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. God the Father is mentioned first. Ephesians 4, 5 through 6, Paul tells the Ephesians, God the Father placed all things under his feet, meaning Christ, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. The Father comes first. Matthew 28, 19, the baptismal formula reveals that go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Father always comes first when they're joined together. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, there is but 
one God, the Father, from whom all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and we exist through him. Second Corinthians eleven thirty one. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forevermore, knows that I am not lying. First John two twenty three. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Either he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Jesus told his disciples they were to ask the Father in his name all things. For he was the mediator, John 16, 23 through 24, 26 through 28, 1 Timothy 2, 5. And that day you shall ask me nothing. Ask my father in my name and he will do it. So he gives the chain of command. When we pray as Christians, we are to pray to the father in the name of Jesus. When some people have heard me teach that, they think I'm teaching heresy. You mean I can't pray to Jesus? Sure, God can untangle all that, but he gives you the chain of command. You're to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Read the words of Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16. Study the prayers in the Bible, in the New Testament. The chain of command. You see, Paul understood the approachability and access to the Father in view of salvation. Notice he says, in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. The phrase in the name refers to the function of the second person of the Trinity and sphere by which God the Father has designated as the proper access to be thanked. Not only do you ask the Father in Jesus' name, you thank the Father in Jesus' name. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21 says the Father here, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come, a name above every other name. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. Philippians 2, 9, and 10. And whoever, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians three seventeen, the sister epistle. You see, the person is the son of God who became man. title here again, Lord, Kurios, describing we are his possession. He owns us, having purchased us from the slave market and redeemed us. It's found 28 times in the letter to the Ephesians, Kurios, Lord. Jesus, again, Yahweh is salvation, identifying as humanity, the incarnation, a real man born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, the word, the name Jesus appears 21 times in the letter. In Christ Christos, the anointed Messiah, another title, 46 times in the letter. You, you think that this letter is about Jesus? 
He's the focus. He's the red thread. He's the bullseye. No one else. When Mr. Moody was once reading the 103rd Psalm, and he came to the verse, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He stopped short, we are told, in his usual manner. And he said, you cannot remember them all, of course, but don't forget them all. Remember some of them. There's so much God has done in our life and is doing and will do that it's impossible to forget what he's done. Even if we forget a few, there's too many to forget all of them. The unbeliever is characterized by unthankfulness. Paul tells the Romans that man knew God but didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful in Romans one twenty one. That's the catalog for the history of man as they've rejected God. Paul says, in the last days, men will be known for their love for self, money, pride, disobedience to parents, and unthankful, 2 Timothy 3.2. We can certainly see that very evident in our own nation and our own generation. As we were growing up, and when I was growing up in the 60s, there was few, there was this, but now it's increased more. So in other words, all this evil, all this self-centeredness has not decreased. It has only increased. And the unthankfulness towards God has also decreased by the same proportion. The carnal Christian is not being filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit, therefore... He's being controlled by his whole flesh. He feels he always is not given his due in recognition and ministry, ability, ending, striving, and creating divisions, 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Those are the marks of a carnal Christian. The spirit-filled believer walks in wisdom by being thankful. He doesn't strive with God, but rather sees God to confirm his will in order to depend and trust him. But it doesn't mean the absence of warfare. Warfare is constant. I wish I could tell you that I just don't experience warfare. And I would really love to tell you that, that I might experience it, but I don't. There is constant warfare. When soldiers are in um, a war zone, they're always in danger, though they might not always be in a battle. They are in a war zone. The same with the Christian. Psalm 69, 30 says, I will praise the name of God with a song, and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Romans 8, 28, knowing that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. That is all things that God allows, all things that God brings in, not the stupid things I do. 
All right? Because Christians quote this all the time when they mess up. Well, you know, all things work for good. That's silly. All things work for good that God allows. He brings in. He puts me through. And in his mercy, even some of the stupid things I do, God will turn them for good, but I don't escape the consequences. Are we clear on that? I do not. I never escape the consequences. The believer realizes that giving thanks for everything is God's will. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 The believer is to abound in thanksgiving. Colossians 2.7 Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is... The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, Hebrews thirteen fifteen. No matter what the believer receives, be it little or much, he is to be thankful. Paul says, Philippians 4, 6, being anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, um, make your request known unto God. And the peace is surpassed. I'll understand. Well, guard your heart and minds, he says. Philippians 4.12, says, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. In whatever state I am, I'm giving thanks to God. Wow. You see, the believer is wise to walk thankful to the Father through Jesus. Joy and thankfulness are hooked together. They're twins. Not identical, but they're twins. Notice thirdly, the believer is wise to walk humble. Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The Apostle Paul now reveals he was still speaking to the individual in the church body about the walk of wisdom as a result of being filled with the Spirit. And the reason I say is that there are commentators who believe this verse begins a new section. They, in fact, begin the section on the family with verse 21 that runs all the way to chapter 6, verse 9. But by doing this, they are interrupting the last of the seven marks of walking in wisdom. Verse 21 goes from 15 to 21, the seven marks. Walking circumspectly, verse 15. Walking, redeeming the time, verse 16. Walking, understanding the will of the Lord, verse 17. Walking, being filled with the Spirit, verse 18. Walking, speaking to ourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing melody, making melody in our hearts of the Lord, 19. Walking, giving thanks, verse 20. And walking, submitting to one another, in verse 21. They cut the last one off by dividing it wrong. They also are interrupting the natural flow of the four participles. Speaking to ourselves, verse 19, the beginning. Singing and making melody, the second part of 19. Giving thanks, verse 20. And submitting to one another, verse 21. So they cut off the seventh and they interrupt the four participles. They also... Ignore the clear distinction 
of the submission by the context. Look at verse 21. This is reciprocal submission of one Christian to another. Verse 22 is mutual submission of husband to wife. There's a big difference between reciprocal and husband and wife submission, mutual. Big difference. We might call verse 21 transitional, going from submission to each other, to wife and husband, to the entire family and household. It goes from verse 22 to chapter 6, verse 9. So verse 21 is a transitional verse. But also being able to see clearly the use of the key word that's repeated to progress the exhortation of this section. Such as darkness and light, walk wise and now submit from verse 7 to 21. Key words. You remember this style. It's called perinesis, promosia, or duodiplasis, which is, again, very evident when we study the book of James. James takes a thought, then takes the same weak keyword and progresses it, takes another keyword and progresses it, and they're hooked together like a chain. So you're, 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 you're ignoring all of these things when you make the wrong division. The Greek scholar Lenski explains it this way regarding those who in, interrupt the flow and interpret verse 21 as a new section. Listen carefully. And I'm quoting him. Those who think that the contrary is the case labor to construe or to interpret the participle. To call it a nominative absolute is to state they cannot be construed or interpreted. So in other words, they, they, they ignore the participle by allowing it to say, to let it mean while subjecting yourself to each other, the wives to their own husbands is unwarranted because the wives are to subject themselves to their husbands mutual and not as we are to subject ourselves to the rest of us reciprocal. So he makes the same observation. If he had, meaning Paul, intended to make a break at verse 21, it would have been easier and more simple to simply write an imperative, not a participle. So using Greek grammar laws and all, he demonstrates the error in breaking it there at verse 21 rather than 22. Now, having said that, notice the Apostle Paul revealed the spirit-filled person then is able to submit to others. The word submission, hupotasso, is a military term, as you know, made up of two words, hupo, meaning under, and tasso, meaning to draw up in order or to line up in view of a higher rank. The two words joined together, it means lining up under someone else who has authority over you, but it never implies inferiority. 
This is not the uh, natural ability of man, as you know, due to pride and sin nature, but a supernatural enabling of the believer by being filled with the Spirit of God. The tense indicates a voluntary submission of free will. The Spirit of God does not constrain or compel us against our will. It is our yielding and submitting ourselves to the Spirit as we did to Jesus in salvation voluntarily. The word is the fourth participle in the present tense, but it's in the middle voice. Like the preceding three participles, they are present continuous, what they call the durative participle. But the middle voice, as we've seen often, indicates the person being active as a participant, yielding to the ongoing filling of the Spirit. So in other words, God will fill me if I yield, but then I've got to yield and be the participant of those actions by depending on the Spirit of God. The submission is to be noticed to one another. Now, the word is different from the one another of verse 19, as I said previously. In verse 19, the Greek word indicates to yourself, the person. You're singing, making out to yourself, inward worship. The, verse, the word here in verse 21 means another person. Not ourselves. So the submission is to be going on is to those comprising the entire church body that is made up of many members just as our physical body. So we are in submission, mutual voluntary submission to each other. We are not inferior to each other. We have different gifts and callings, as we'll see, but we're not inferior to each other. We all stand on the same ground. Each one is called according to, um, to their calling. In chapter 4, verse 1, remember he began the walk of the believer, walking worthy. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. He says, each uh, itch is to walk in humility and love. Verse 3 of chapter 4, each is to walk doing all they can to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and not disrupt the spirit, that unity. Verse 7 of chapter 4, each is given the grace according to the measure of Christ's gift to serve the body. And in chapter 4, verse 16, each one is to be joined and knit together to supply the effective working of every part to bring about growth and edification and love by the filling of the Spirit of God. Then notice the Apostle Paul reveals the spirit-filled believer submits in the fear of God. He describes how we do it. The word fear is phobos, you get phobia from. In this context, it means reverence, respect of God's wisdom and purposes for effectiveness. The word can also mean literal fear in a different context. Now some texts, instead of God, they have Christ here. But the majority texts have God. Now, the submission is in respectful awe towards God, knowing one's accountability to the measure of light and instruction a person 
has received. To those of much is given, much more is required. The submission is never beyond or in addition to the scriptures. This is important. But only in accord to the scriptures. Sometimes people try to abuse their authority and power as pastors, elders, or whatever, and they try to pull rank or try to go beyond the scriptures and control or authority over people. Not so. The scriptures are the boundaries for all of us. We submit us unto the Lord, to each other, according to the scriptures and not beyond the scriptures. Is that clear? The believers reverence, respect, and adoration of the Lord Jesus Christ is evident by walking in wisdom. Chapter 5, verse 15, down to 21. For us to submit is absolute wisdom. Is it easy? Nope. Is it natural? Never. Is it possible? Absolutely. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1 7 says. This refers to the basic foundation. The beginning, the foundation. Proverbs 9 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy is understanding. This word beginning in 9 10 refers to the first step. So after laying the foundation, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the first step is still the fear of the Lord, (laughs) which turns into wisdom. Foundation, fear of the Lord. First step, the fear of the Lord. The second step, fear of the Lord. (laughs) That's wisdom. You show me a person who does not fear the Lord. I will show you a person who doesn't submit to the body of Christ according to the scriptures and the purposes of God. One put it this way. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He does the very best for those who leave the choice with him. The primary submission of the believer is to obey God, not Satan, by disobedience. When we disobey God, we're submitting to Satan, not God. To study his word and obey it. To pray and seek the will of God and obey it. To serve the church in obedience by my calling and gifts. James 4, 7 says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You've got to do both. You can't do just one. You can't just submit to God and not resist the devil. You can't just resist the devil and not, and, and, and not God. It's got to be both. So if I obey God, then I'm doing both of those things. Now, if I disobey God, then I'm submitting to Satan. By default. The believer is to submit to the ruler, the rulers in the laws of the land, those that God has put here. Listen um, to um, Romans um, 13, 
verse 1 on down to, I believe, 7 or something. For God established government here, but not the evil that they commit at times. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. That's capital punishment, by the way. The sword is not in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So the New Testament teaches capital punishment. There you have one. Not, only, not the only one, but that's one of them. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake, for because of these this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Romans 13, 1 on down to 7 or 8. It's as submission to the Lord. Listen to 1 Peter 2.13. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to kings or supreme. When do we have the right to disobey? When they tell us that we cannot worship Jesus, that we cannot teach the word of God. That's the only time we do not submit to man any longer. Are we clear on that? You don't like paying taxes? Move from the United States. <laughs> you don't like the laws? Move to another country. But if you're here, you're to obey. Only when they contradict the word of God and command us to disobey the word of God. The believer is to submit to the leaders of the church but to limited scripture, again, the authority. Listen, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble, 1 Peter 5, 5. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Hebrews 13, 17. The believer is wise to walk humble, submitting to those in Jesus. It's reciprocal submission. One to another. Get your computer out. Punch in one another's. You're going to have enough, a lot of one another's in the New Testament. Read them all. You'll blow your mind. And so the walk and wisdom of the believer being filled with the Holy Spirit is characterized by the believer that he's wise to walk joyful, worshiping Jesus. The believer is wise to walk thankful to the Father through Jesus. 
And the believer is wise to walk humble, submitting to those in Jesus. Joyful, thankful, humble. You think they're related? <laughs> Very much so. Lord, thank you for your love, your goodness. We thank you for tonight. We pray you would deal with our hearts. And we thank you for your word, Lord, that it ever lives and speaks to us, Lord. Always on time. Always what we need. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. You might be over the internet. You might be listening over radio. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins, and rose from the dead, then you believe that he paid that price for your sins on the cross, then you can call upon him. And he says he will forgive you and he will make you his child and give you eternal life and fill you with the Spirit. By grace through faith, not because we deserve it, but because you believe what he said about himself, that he's the Savior of the world who died for you. If this is your desire and your decision, right where you sit or wherever you may be, you can say this prayer. This is your prayer to the Lord of repentance to forgive you and save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name.